time to settle down, get back to find your places, and it's always fun to get to see some of your friends you haven't seen all week, but uh, there will be some time afterwards as well to hang out. So, well, welcome again. Um, as Heidi already said, my name is Adri, and I'm on the preaching team. also work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship with students who study abroad, so that's a little bit of a, uh, if you didn't know that, that's a little peek into my life. Um, today, we're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians and um, about loving others well. And today's sermon is titled, An Inconvenient Sacrifice. And we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 8. Um, and let me give you a little bit of background before we pull up the, the scripture and we'll, we'll read it together. Um, so just to know about uh, the church of Corinth, Paul has visited the church of Corinth on his missionary journeys. And um, he, he, he's, hang, he's been there for about a year and a half. So he's gotten to know the people really well. What Paul normally does, he goes straight into town, finds out if there's a bunch of believers, Jewish believers already. He goes and hangs out with them at the synagogue, or if you maybe remember the story of Lydia, he, he finds some women who are gathered at a stream of water. He just goes and looks in the town, where are some Jewish people? And he, uh, he goes and shares the gospel with them. And then depending on their response, he might hang out with them a little longer. Or in the case of the Corinthian church, he says, uh, he, it actually says in Acts 18 that the Jews became abusive. So this wasn't a particularly like, good uh, interaction anymore. And he says, okay, then I'm going to the Gentiles. And the word Gentile simply means not Jewish. So he goes to the other people in the town. And he's very successful there. There's a lot of people, when they hear the gospel, who say, yes, we're going to follow Jesus. And so what you then know about that young Corinthian church is that most of the people in that church are Gentile people who before were worshiping idols. Um, Another thing to know, and, and this is something you might know, but sometimes you're reading books of the Bible and you just read them as books, but this is really part of an exchange of letters that the Corinthian church sent to Paul, and then Paul sent something back, and it went back and forth. And only two of those letters have been, um, uh, have been uh, I want to say restored, that's not the right word, uh, are st we still have those. The other, the other parts of the exchange are gone, so we don't really know what the Corinthian church Talk, uh, uh, asked Paul or what they talked about, all we have are these two letters. And so we have to kind of reconstruct half of the, um, of the interaction between Paul and the Corinthian church. And um, one of the things that Paul does in the first, um, in first Corinthians is answer some questions that the Corinthian church may have. And we see this also, if, if we're going to read the scripture, we're going to see that he starts answering a question that hasn't been stated. Now, from the text, we can infer that the question must have been something like this. Is it permissible for Christians to eat meat sacrificed to idols? That must be the question, something along those lines. So let's read the scripture and then see if there's anything for us in this text today, right? Because... Meat sacrifice to idols, that seems a bit far away from our day-to-day -day experience. So let's get the text on there. If you have um, a Bible in your seat, that's the same translation. So you can read along there if you like. Feel free to pull up your phone and if you have a Bible on there. Um, so let's read. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, 
as to the eating of food to offer to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So, let's pray. Dear Jesus, Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your word, and that your word is living, and that even maybe read it and we wonder, what, what does this have to do with, with me? That uh, your spirit speaks to us, and that there is, I believe, there is something for each one of us today um, as we read this text. So, Lord, I pray um, that you will speak through me and that, uh, yeah, you will touch each and everyone's heart here today with a special message for them. Um, so, Lord, thank you for this time. Amen. Great. So, let's continue a little bit with background. I really feel like these letters often need some extra background because it's a culture so different from us that it's helpful to kind of know. And, and like, how many of us have ever seen food sacrificed to idols, right? That, that might be I'm not going to ask, but that's probably not going to be a lot of you, right? So, so what is happening here? And, and we also have to, well, thank you, Tauf. Um, so, so we also have to kind of uh, uh, distinguish between the way the Jewish were um, uh, sacrificing to God, which was a very different way that the Gentiles did it. So try to not think of that right now, and let's just think of what was happening in Corinth. Um, so... Food sacrifice to idols, it would happen generally, it could happen at a variety of places, but the main place it would happen would be the temple, and uh, people would bring food for a specific festival, or food, in this case, this would be live cattle, small birds, like actually live animals, and it would be kind of potluck style, like every family would bring something, right? Poor people bring less and rich people bring more, but uh, they would all be bringing this to the temple, and then it would get slaughtered there, and... Um, a portion of it would be burned on an altar, and that would be the food that was sacrificed to the idol. Then there would be still a lot of food left over. So uh, some of the priests and some of the others who had been part of this religious ceremony would then get the next piece of, of meat out of that. And then it was distributed among everybody else. So that's kind of where the potluck idea comes from. And we, we often focus mainly on like this is this like worship kind of uh, uh, experience, but part of it was there were just a lot of people that were enjoying eating food and kind of like talking to each other. It was a great place to, to, to do some networking, and so it had many more levels than just worshiping that, that was going on there. Um, and then that meat, there would still be a lot of leftover meat at the end of that, because everybody, I mean, if you bring a goat and you're like a family of four, you're probably still going to have meat left over, right? But this Food is now owned by the temple, and they would bring it to the marketplace, 
and sell it there, probably for lower prices than other food that wasn't sacrificed to idols. And it would get on the market and it become unclear what food, what, what, if, what if the meat was actually sacrificed and what wasn't. It would just be um, all there and it became kind of unclear to distinguish. And then there would be a bunch of parties, and at those parties, this food sacrifice to idols would show up again. I, I was reading a little bit about some of the invitations that you can find um, uh, that people would do to invite others to their parties. So one of the invitations sounds like this, Lord Saturn invites you to a banquet. Another one was dinner at the table of Lord Serapis, which is an Egyptian god. So these would be the invitations that would go out and people would come to this party and it would be pretty clear, right, that this is a place where food has been um, sacrificed to idols. Then it would happen at private gatherings. You never knew if you were invited. And that might be food sacrifice idols. It might not be. Uh, it probably would be at a business meeting. In other ways of saying this, this food is everywhere and it's hard to distinguish necessarily if it has been sacrificed to idols or not. And then again, I mentioned this before, the Church of Corinth has a lot of Gentiles, and these people had been used to, to worshiping idols all their life. This was the normal thing to do. Until they met Jesus, this was the normal, and it felt like the right thing to do. And then they meet Jesus, and they realize, this is something I need to stay away from. And so that is really hard in a society where that constantly, like, this worshiping idols is really normal, and they realize this is a, an unhealthy habit for them. And, and I was kind of thinking, like, well, what is a modern equivalent to, like, an unhealthy habit? It could be really simple things, like maybe you find yourself being on your phone way too often, and by doing that, you are uh, not interacting with your family, you're not interacting with your friends, and you realize at a certain point this is an unhealthy habit, then there's a few things you can do. You could like remove some of the apps that are social media related off your phone. So you know, like I'm not gonna, these are apps I normally am drawn to, so I take it off my phone. Or maybe you say for a while, I'm gonna have a dumb phone. I'm not gonna interact with that anymore because I know it's bad for me. And I think that is what these people are saying. I know this is bad for me. Maybe parts of it are okay, but I'm just not gonna touch it at all because I know I might fall back in my old habit that I had before. So then the question is, 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 what Paul is dealing with is, what is the loving thing to do when you are faced with food sacrificed to idols and you think maybe it's perfectly okay to eat it, right? Because that's what Paul says, like, the idols are empty, there's no power behind those idols, so why can't we eat it? And um, let me make sure that I am doing this right. No, I'm not. Here we go. I knew I had my notes mixed up. There we go. So let me first go to an example because I was just asking you, do you have any example? Like, have you ever seen food being sacrificed to idols? And interestingly enough, in a way, I have. Uh, having done international student ministry for a very long time, um, back in Holland, we had a Bible study group that would meet at different places throughout the year. And uh, we would love students to just host it at their house. They didn't necessarily have to be Christians. And there was this one guy who uh, is a Hare Krishna, which is just a, a, a Hindu background believer, but they're, they're a little more strict than the average Hindu. And he invited our group over. And so we were excited. He, he, cooks, he cooks amazing. And uh, when we, we got there, and somehow, I, I'm not sure it was just Kelly and me and him, or just me and him, but uh, I was in the kitchen, and he was just really excited to host us, and he, he says, well, you know, I'm religious too, right? trying to kind of find a, a bond between the two of us, and he said, before, before you guys came, I, uh, I offered up the food that I cooked to, to my gods, 
And I'm there like, what am I going to do now, right? There's a whole bunch of people they're going to have Bible study with. And this guy is just telling me this. And I, I, I honestly wasn't even thinking this text. I'm just like blank. Like, what am I going to do with this? And so on the spot, what I decided to do was to be nice to him. I thought, he hasn't told anybody else. I didn't think he was going to tell anybody else. The other people that were going to have the Bible study, they're never going to know. So it's probably going to be fine. We ate it. We had a great Bible study at this place, and, and no feelings were hurt. And, uh, well, you, you, afterwards, maybe you can look back in this text and say, was he doing the right thing? Um, I, I think we, I, I stayed close to the spirit of the text, I think. But there we go. That's my one. Like, so you don't expect that, right, in, in today's life. But, but this is one of the things, like initially I was thinking, oh, this doesn't happen today. But then I realized there's hundreds of millions of people in India today doing idol worship. And it's very normal there. And uh, early this week, I was staying with some friends in Portland. Who uh, He was actually a PhD student in Moscow. And um, he's Indian. His wife is also Indian. And um, I asked them, like, I'm, I'm preparing this sermon on, on food sacrifice to idols. We have honestly no idea. But I know you come from a culture where that is normal. So what would you do? And he said, well, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, Hindu festivals that happen, and people will sacrifice their food to their idols, and then uh, they share it with their neighbors. They want to be generous, and so they'll come by, and they'll give it to their Hindu neighbor, but they'll also give it to their Christian neighbor. Now, some of these Hindus are very considerate, and they're like, okay, these Christians really don't like to eat food sacrificed to idols, so they'll actually keep a portion aside that they don't sacrifice, and then give it to their neighbor, which I think is pretty cool, pretty considerate, right? But that's not always the case. And so I said, well, what would you do if, if somebody offered that to you? And he said, well, if it was just me and them, I'd just eat it. I have no problem with that. And I said, so, but if there's somebody with you that has issues with it, he said, I would still accept it because I don't want to shame them, but, and I'll take it home and not eat it. So you see, there's a, there's a whole kind of like trying to walk that line, like how do I do this in a way that is honoring to them and is a good witness to them, uh, and at the same time don't want to uh, uh, let your weaker brother uh, or sister, um, uh, conscience being, um, well, I'm not sure what the word was exactly that they used, but uh, that, that they have issues with that. So those are just two examples that I, I ran into. And uh, I, I think this text is about food sacrifice to idols, but there are some principles in here that we can actually apply to our own life. So let's go to the first thing and look, look at the text here, how, how Paul responds to, is to the question that the Corinthians ask him. And um, I think if we look at the beginning of the text where it says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, and the ESV has put quotation marks around it, thinking that this is, this is interpretive, there are no quotation marks in, in Greek, but that's what they put up there because they think that's probably something that the Corinthians had asked Paul. And um, from this statement, it's probably less of a question and more of a statement that they made. I think the question must have sounded something like this. We know that eating food sacrificed to idols has no power, so we can just eat it, right? And the little right at the end makes it a question. But it's really just asking for confirmation. Like, we just want to continue doing this because it's easy, it's nice, I like the cheap food, I can get it everywhere, right? And it just makes my life so much easier. This must be okay, right? And Paul says, yes. In a, way, in a sense, yes, you're right. Technically, you're correct. Idols, there's nothing behind this. This doesn't have any power over you. But. And then Paul starts to talk about knowledge. And if you look through the text, you see the word no being mentioned 11 times. So this is a big point he's trying to make. And then he uh, counteracts it with the word love. 
And he, he says, we know, uh, let me see, sorry, knowledge puffs up. He says that knowledge can become more important to us than our actual heart and motivation behind it. What I'm trying to say is, have you ever been part of a conversation about faith or maybe better way to say theology, where you talk about, for example, a topic like free will. Do I have free will? Do I not have free will? And uh, maybe one person tried to sound even smarter and use uh, predeterminism as a word, and you're like, oh, I've never heard of that before. And now I have to throw all my dictionary out, right? And I come up with a cool word. And you have this conversation, and it, it might be technically correct. It might be great theology behind it. But in the end, you come away with this feeling like, kind of empty. There isn't God's love behind this. My motivation in this conversation was actually wrong. I just tried to look smart. And, and I think when I was a young Christian, I, I once went to a Bible study where that happened, and I saw people throwing out all their difficult words that I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what they're talking about, and I came away empty, and it was really a bad witness towards me. And so I think that is what Paul is saying. It's like, yes, technically you're right, but there is this thing called love <laughs> that we also need to keep into consideration. And that's what uh, Paul also says just a few chapters later in um, 1 Corinthians 13.2. He says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so that's where it has to start. So then, what is the loving thing to do is the next question. I think what Paul is saying in his own way, uh, I'm going to rephrase it, I think what he says is, you are not an island. You are not alone. You're part of a community. You can't just keep your faith private and go on technicalities and say, well, according to the Bible, I'm living this out right. He says there's other people around you. Your actions impact others. And then Paul says, do not become a stumbling block to the weak. So who are the weak? And I think in this case, those are people who grew up worshiping idols, eating that meat, and now recently have become Christians, and now they're seeing other people eating that food sacrificed to idols who are Christians, and maybe a long, much longer time than them, and they're confused. You are not an island. Christians are called to be witnesses. And that shouldn't come as a surprise. Acts 1.8 Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, obviously, if you're a Christian, you're called to be a witness. And what that means, and I'm not here to scare you, it means you can never be off. You can't say, today I'm not going to be a Christian, and <laughs> I'm just going to do whatever I like, and then uh, hopefully nobody will notice, right? Because people will notice. Your family looks like you, you're a Christian, you're confessing that, you, people know that around you. Your actions are going to impact them because they're going to be looking. And often, if you've listened to people's testimonies, a lot of the time there's this phrase in there, something along these lines, like, there was this person that lived differently, and it intrigued me, and that's why I wanted to know more about God. So the way we live has a direct impact on the people around us. And so uh, it reminds me a little bit of, like, uh, and he also works for InterVarsity, so he probably has a bunch of InterVarsity t-shirts. I do too. And they're free t-shirts, right? So what you do, you wear them. Uh, I, I often don't even know what's on them. I just like, what's well, a nice t-shirt, so I'm going to wear them. But then I realize other people are actually reading what's on it. <laughs> and I suddenly like, oh man, I, I, I hope I was behaving well because they not know that I'm a Christian, or at least confess to be a Christian. 
Like, does, do my actions actually line up with that? Or uh, a person in this, this church once, and I won't say his name, but he once jokingly said, I don't want one of those fishies on the back of my car. You know, like one of those fishies that says you're, you're a Christian? Yeah, some of you might have just bought a secondhand car and there's one in the back and you don't want to get it off. But a lot of, a lot of the time people put it on there for purpose, right? You want to know that other people, uh, uh, like that you're confessing that you're a Christian while you drive the roads. He says, I don't want that because then I have to drive according to the rules. <laughs> I don't want other people to know that I'm a Christian. He said this jokingly, so okay. Like, but I, I thought there was some kind of point, right? Like when, when people know you're a Christian, you need to act according to, to those values. So what would something like that then look like in day-to-day life? Well, one example I have is 15 years ago, Kelly and I went to Bulgaria to go to a friend's wedding. Uh, she is Bulgarian, he is Dutch, and uh, we met him both in the Netherlands, but they invited us over to their wedding, and we went to a, uh, a small town that she grew up, Haskavo, and uh, that town is economically depressed, um, and I, I'm just telling you that because uh, a lot of people there struggle with alcoholism. And you'll notice that in, in the evening, people just drink too much, they get really loud. By the way, I, <laughs> I, I once told my friend, like, uh, they're really, like, people are just angry all the time and yelling at each other. And it's like, oh, no, they're not angry, they're happy. And like, you're just not understand, you're, you just understand what they're saying. They're actually super excited. And I just thought they were constantly yelling at each other, but I guess they were yelling nice things. But anyway, that, that's the context, right? There's this, this, like, like just this, this society that has an issue with alcoholism. And so that church said, as a witness to the people around us and the people that come in our church that have to, had, had to deal with alcoholism, we're not going to drink any alcohol. Now, I'll confess, I enjoy a nice Belgian beer once in a while. I enjoy a glass of wine. But when we got there, we said, okay, we're, we're going to this church. We want to be part of this community. We want to be good witnesses. So for the time we're there, the 10 days, which is not a whole lot, we're just not going to drink alcohol, right? Yeah, and I'm not there for two years or something. But it still was a decision to be made. Now, <laughs> this is a bit of a side note. Uh, I failed, not on purpose. But one, on, one of those breakfast, like, the food is pretty cheap there, so we would go out in the morning for breakfast and um, got one of those menus with lots of pictures on it, which I like because they use the Cyrillic alphabet, which means that we, we had been kind of learning what each letter sounded like, and we could kind of spell things out, but it was really tough, so it's nice to have pictures. So I, 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 she comes up, I, I don't know what she says, she doesn't know what I say. I said, I'd like that, right? She says, we don't have that. Okay, well, I would like that. Well, we don't have that. And so I went through that for a while, realizing that most of the menu wasn't actually available. Uh, so then the question was like, well, what do we have? And so she pointed at this, this picture of, of, of some kind of coffee, and, and we spelled it out, and it's a cafe caramel. I was like, that, that sounds pretty good, like caramel coffee, I can understand that. And so I um, ordered that, came with a fancy straw, and so this is in the morning, right? I suck that straw, and there's pure rum that comes out of it. <laughs> Then I was, was, was no, stupid enough to, to tell those people at that church, like, oh, you need to hear what, I, what, what just happened to me. And they're like, you knew that. I'm like, why did I? Why didn't I even tell you? Uh, they were really nice about it. But anyway, that, that's one, one example. And the other thing I want to say here, it, it's every situation is different. I can't give you a template of how to behave in each and every situation. You, what, what works for you is different than for others. What other people around, who the people around you are, are different. And it could even be, in some cases, 
the movie you watch around a certain person, or what music you listen to around a certain person. And I'm not saying that to, like, because you might think, well, am I being hypocritical? I'm not me anymore. I don't think this is about being hypocritical. It's about being in tune with your surroundings, understanding you're part of a community, and knowing that other people have different weaknesses from you, and trying to figure that out, and saying, and you don't have to lie. It's like, well, I normally like watching that movie. <laughs> That's okay. But being aware of that uh, with the people around you. So just what I want to say, this is going to be really personable. Like, like, like it's going to be different for each one of us of how we need to um, uh, behave in different situations. But in the end, it is about saying to others, because I know you struggle with this, I'm not going to do that. So let me make a little bit of a, of a side note here. Because I was thinking, for the people in the Corinthian church, it must have seemed really hard not to eat food sacrificed to idols. I'm imagining, and I'm, I'm not certain, but I'm imagining it might be a little similar to gluten intolerance. I'm saying I normally, Jamie would probably come out here and complain about the horrors of gluten. Um, but it, I, I imagine it must be, must be similar. You go to a meal, like, like you didn't know you had gluten intolerance, and then suddenly you find out, and you go somewhere, and you have to ask that question, is this, is, are there gluten in here? And sometimes people know, some people, sometimes people don't know, and then you just have to not eat it. You go to somebody's house, you go to a business meeting, you go to somebody's parties, and suddenly, some, somehow gluten seems to be in every single product out there. And it doesn't just make eating difficult, it makes social interaction harder. You don't want to, like, uh, uh, be a burden on others, but you don't want to feel sick either. You know it's bad for you, right? And in a similar way, food sacrifice to idols was everywhere. It was not just in the temple, it was in business meetings, it was at parties, it was in the marketplace. And you just simply didn't always know where it has been. And so, refraining from it, saying, no, I'm not going to eat it, you might offend your host, you might break relationships, you lose business income, and then for the poor, it might mean eating a lot less meat or no meat at all, because this was the cheap meat, and, and, and in certain cases, it was given away for free, and so for some people, this might mean, like, I'm probably never going to eat meat again. So not eating it might have seemed really difficult. Not doing that is an inconvenient sacrifice. Maybe it's impossible. And so then I started wondering, well, what are the things that our society tells us are impossible? Let me just throw a few of them out there. Pornography. A lot, uh, I've heard this saying before, something like, I don't know the specific numbers. Specifically, this is done phrase for men. Like 90% of men watch pornography and the other 10% are lying. I don't know if you've heard that before, but I have. It seems impossible in our culture. Our culture is telling us it is impossible. But then Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus says, don't do it. Are we stuck there? No, I don't think so. Jesus also gives us the power and the grace to overcome it. But our culture says we can do it, but Jesus says we can. Or another one, sleeping with each other before marriage. The Bible tells us, no, you shouldn't do that. But our culture says it's normal. Actually, it's almost stupid not to do it because I've heard this argument before. You have to try and see if you're compatible, otherwise you're going to be stuck with this person for the rest of your life. That's what culture says. The Bible says, no, that's not the case. This is actually possible by God's power and by God's, God's grace. 
Or let me go through a whole different direction, the Sabbath. How many of us are actually keeping the Sabbath regularly? You know what? I struggle with that. But then I ran into this student who's a PhD student on campus. And I've, I've known her for many years. And she, she, she said she, she struggled with the idea of Sabbath. But at a certain time, she felt God say, you need to keep your Sabbath. And she's like, I, I need to work seven days out of the week. I'm a PhD student. I can't get stuff done. This is what everybody's telling me. You come in every day into the lab and do your experiments and your work. But she felt God saying, no, you're setting aside the Sunday. And so she did. And initially it was difficult. But she says now it feels like God has given her an extra day. She's able to get the work done in those six days until take the Sabbath. I believe that God gives us the power and the grace to do the things he asks us to do. And this is not to make you feel bad, because you might be anywhere on these, on these spectrums, right? I really believe, again, that God gives us the ability to do this. And so then he asks us, I think, to be transparent. That's why community is so important. That when you struggle with pornography, there are Christian brothers and sisters in this room that you can confide in. It's about living, like, because when we are transparent, God's light can shine into those dark places, and we can be transformed. Or those relationships we're in with other people, like if you're in a romantic relationship, and you say, but I want to keep that command, ask others to be accountable, like people you love and trust, to keep you accountable. Or when the Sabbath is difficult. I have another story here from a colleague of mine who said, keeping the Sabbath really hard because she is a super extrovert, and she's single. And she says, like, it's almost a punishment. Like, Sunday I have to spend time alone with myself. And that's, like, about the worst thing I can possibly do. And so what she said, what she did, was she found another friend to have Sabbath with together. And sometimes that just means sitting together in the park and reading the Bible. Or sometimes it's talking together and getting a meal. And so there are ways, and God will give us ways to, to obey those commands. So that was a little bit of a side note, but yeah, I thought it was good to point out. So let's go back to our inconvenient sacrifice. I've said before, the Corinthians, um, giving up this meat was inconvenient. Uh, like I mentioned, it's cheaper meat, social connections, business meetings, everything became more difficult. I think that loving others is often inconvenient for our own comfort. Let me say that again. Because I think this is very true. Loving others is often inconvenient for our own comfort. John, or Jesus says in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I find that such a particularly powerful verse, not because Jesus says it, but he also does it. He shows them as an example. And his sacrifice has a direct impact on everybody around him, right? Now, through Jesus, that relationship with God is restored again. Jesus lived this out. And so, as Jesus lived, we are called to live lives that are other-focused. I'm going to give you a minute or so to think and reflect on a question. Take some time to assess your life and your witness, and then ask God if there is a place in your life where you choose comfort or convenience over loving others well. And if that is true, 
then you can also ask him, well, what, what next step, right? What should I do? So let me read this one more time, and then I'll give you a minute to think about that or pray about that. Ask God if there is a place in your life where you choose comfort or convenience over loving others well. That was good, Audrey. Thanks. Made me think of lots of uh, areas where it's like always a question of like, is this a spiritual thing or not a spiritual thing? Like say uh, Magic the Gathering cards or everything's like that. Is this a spiritual thing? Is it just a game? And the real question is, is, is it not is it spiritual, but do I love people well by playing it or do I not love people well by playing it? It's just complicated. So thanks for inviting us to think about that. <clears throat> So I want to invite you now to go in the grace of the Lord, to discover his power and strength rising in you to do all that he calls you to do, to live the life that he has set before you, to live as a witness to him to the ends of the earth in every place you find yourself. In the name of Jesus, go in his grace, go in his strength and in his power, knowing that Jesus loves you. And Heidi and I do too. Amen. So this morning as you go, would you just uh, meet some new folks and invite them out to lunch? If you need prayer, we have prayer available still in the back space. Thanks for being here this morning. We love you.